Welcome back to the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always, and this is the episode right after the Celtics Sixers Game 7, which started off to be an amazing game from the beginning up until halftime, and then it just got out of hand, and it turned into a boring blowout, but kind of still like a fun, exciting blowout, I guess, because of the fact that it was at home. So, you you know, the crowd's going crazy. And obviously we get an amazing Jason Tatum game, his best game by far that we've seen. And it happened in the game seven, which couldn't be better, especially with the ups and downs he's had in the playoffs versus the Hawks. And obviously in this same series against the Sixers, I'm going to get into this game that we just got to watch and I'm also going to include Lakers Warriors right like kind of just my ending thoughts about that series I'm also going to be getting into the Nuggets Suns kind of I'm going to kind of go through those as quickly as I can and like I said over the weekend on the last episode I'm just going to kind of try to drop another episode by today as well uh, just kind of previewing series that we're going to see that's going to go for the next one so I'm going to start with Sixers Celtics this was 112 to 88 blowout in the second half of this game and the way it started was concerning in my opinion for the Celtics right like Celtics are doubling away uh you know you're seeing PJ Tucker right knock down a couple of corner threes it's looking like this team around Embiid and Harden is here to play Right. And looking at this box score, you know, just kind of skipping ahead before I get into the details of this game, you get 19 points from Tobias Harris. You get 11 from PJ, right? Three for six from three, which is awesome. Four for seven from the field, which is really good considering the type of offensive production that he typically gives you. He definitely uh, showed up in this game from that sense. Um, You get 15 from Embiid, minus 28, five for 18 from the field 0 for 4 from 3 and just I'm obviously just going to get into that awful game 7 for Joel Embiid you get 17 points from Maxi. he doesn't miss a free throw in this game 5 for 5 he goes 2 for 6 from 3 which isn't terrible right 33% but then he goes 5 for 12 from the field still a very young player so I have to give him a pass he still gave you 17 we're looking at another awful performance from who's supposed to be the second best player on this team, James Harden, three for 11 from the field, one for five from three, five turnovers. He was a minus 30, nine points. Okay, nine points for Harden. Uh, Anthony Melton, three for 10, one for five. I don't expect much from him, uh, to be honest, so not too crazy about that. Anyways, you get three minutes from Georges Niang. Useless, right? Paul Reed, mm-mm, nothing really you know, doesn't really get a lot of playing time anyway, you know, and, and, and part of that is because obviously when it's a game seven, an elimination game like that, the rotations are going to be much tighter, right? You're going to see like seven guys out there. In this case, it was three, four, five. In this case, it was six, a six man rotation that basically played the entire game and up until the blowout moments. Now we're looking at the sick, uh, the Celtics, right? Real quick before I even get into the other stuff, Jason Tatum, 60% from the field, 17 for 28, right? Six for 10 from three in a game that felt like he was just not going to miss any shots. 11 for 14 from the free throw line. Not amazing for him, but still, you know, 14 free throw attempts. Definitely was aggressive in this game. 
He had 13 rebounds, five assists, a couple of steals. He had zero turnovers, right? The famous Jason Turnover nickname, zero turnovers in this game seven, 51 points, and he was a plus 33. We're looking at Al Horford, who has struggled from three, two for five from three, so keeps his elite 40% from three, and then everything else offensively was meh, right? But he grabbed 10 rebounds. He got you know a few assists, two steals, three big blocks, and his story wasn't so much offensively. It was the defense on Joel Embiid. He was just so clutch defending Embiid, staying on his feet. And I'm going to get into a little bit of that as well, so I don't want to give that away too much. Jalen Brown, right, 25 points. He gives you three for six from three, another awesome shooting night for him, nine for 19 from the field. He gets four free throw attempts. He makes all four, gives you two blocks, and, you know, just a plus 25, right? Like, everyone's going to be a plus for the most part in this game because of the blowout. Um, you know, you get you get, uh, you get get seven points from Marcus Smart. You know, Marcus Smart wasn't really, you know, involved in the sense of, like, from an offensive perspective. He really just kind of just made the right decisions, right? He played hard. He did his thing, but it wasn't... I guess maybe he heard all the talk about him having the ball in crucial moments and people not wanting to see that. Uh, I was talking I was talking about that as well on the last episode. You know, the ball just kind of, for some reason, finding Marcus Smart in crucial moments, and that's not really what you want out of an offense that has Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown on the same team, right? So he wasn't as involved offensively, but... Just, you know, just kind of staying out of the way of, of of who's just having a better game than him, right? And just playing hard, right? He he had a uh, you know, maybe he had a couple of um, a couple of bad turnovers in my opinion, you know, but all in all, he seemed very calm. He wasn't too he just wasn't playing outside of himself in this game, and it was really best case scenario in a game where Tatum and Brown just kind of do their thing, right? Um, so you know, you get 12 points from Malcolm Brogdon. He goes two for six from three. I mean, the the, the Celtics as a team, 45.5% from three. Like, if you don't win a game shooting that percentage from three, there's something severely wrong. You're looking at the Sixers. They shot 21% from three. That's eight for 37. In the second half, it just felt like nothing that they threw up was going to go in, right? Um, just an ugly game at the end. It was so tight in the beginning. It was so back and forth. There was just... I mean, 50-50 balls here and there. You know, the Celtics would score. The Sixers would get right back and hit a three. And, you know, it, it was it was looking like it was going to go down to the wire, you know. And I predicted that it would be a close game. It would be a slugfest. We're going to see some ugly performances. And I was wrong about the ugly performances for the Celtics. Uh, but I was right about the ugly performances for the Sixers in terms of the two best guys uh, in James Harden and Joel Embiid. Like, these two dudes... They were just a no-show. Like, the body language was just so bad. It was like they knew the game was over around the third quarter. Like, these guys, just the effort. How is the effort a question in a game seven? In the last game, potentially, for your season, why is the effort so bad? Why does it look like this? Why do we always question if Embiid wants to be out there or not, why are we always questioning Harden's desire in games like this? Harden gives us another no-show performance in big-time moments, right? This is the ultimate stage right now for James Harden 
up until this point. It's a game seven. And you hear all the slander, you know, people defending Harden. Oh, he he's shown up in big moments. And then there's people on my side of the fence that say no. You know, for the most part, this is a guy that he's a superstar in the regular season. He has superstar moments in the playoffs. But when it matters most, more often than not, this guy is a no-show. You know, and I didn't expect to see this from the beginning up until the end. I mean, the entire game, it was a struggle for James Harden. You know, it's just... Just, I don't know what what that was. And I'm not so disappointed in James because to me, this was Embiid's game to just put the series away, be aggressive, take advantage of the mismatches, you know, and five for 18 from the field. I mean, 18 attempts, that's a lot. You know, that is a lot of attempts, but you know, the, it's just not efficient. 0 for 4 from 3 and just, I don't know, just lost his confidence. Like, he just... I mean, that this is why I swung towards Embiid, obviously, uh, before the season ended. Embiid was on a tear in terms of the MVP race, right? I swung towards Embiid, and just watching him in this series, I immediately thought to myself, obviously, the MVP is a regular season award, so we can't talk about that when it comes to playoff time. But watching him in this series, you know, just reminded me why I was just Jokic all the way basically 95% of the season. And I'll get into the Jokic stuff after this little Celtic Sixers breakdown or, or takeaway, I guess I should say. So, you know, the Celtics, man, they, for all of the bad games they had, all the bad losses, they get two in a row here to close it out. They're going to get the heat in the conference finals next. You know, both teams are going to get some decent rest, right? A couple of days in between. The Celtics don't have to travel because they're going to play at home. But, you know, for the Sixers in this series, just, I mean, they could not deal with Jason Tatum at all. Like, just, I mean, when he gets it going like this, he shuts everyone up, right? Like, in terms of who's the better player between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And I've had those thoughts in my head. Like, man, both guys have shown me they can be awful in games and they can be great in games, right? Like these, these two guys, they show you everything and it, it just, it concerns you. It also impresses you. It's like you, you just never know, you know, who these guys are going to be sometimes because they just have such bad games at times, but Tatum just, just shut everyone up. I mean, the most important game of the season for him one of the most important games of his career and probably, I mean, I would say aside from the finals, obviously, this was the next most important game of his career and he showed up, man. Like, he, I mean, the step back threes, getting to the basket, finding his teammates, never losing his confidence, never losing his aggression. He was assertive. When he would get in that pick and roll up top and Joel Embiid would switch on him, he wasn't looking to give it up. He was really looking to take shots over Embiid step back, side steps, over Embiid's face time and time again. When he would have a hesitation move, Embiid would kind of hop out of position and Jason Tatum would just get straight to the rim. And obviously, Embiid is the best rim protector for the Sixers. He's out on the perimeter, high on those pick and rolls, right? He's really switching out there. I don't know why. Um, but, you know, the, just the, that, that lack of peel switching from the Sixers is just... I mean, it's mind-blowing to not see why you don't pre-rotate Embiid off of that screen and roll action, right? Like, you know they're looking for Embiid 
way out there? Why are we not peel switching Embiid out of that play? Like, just pre-rotate Embiid out so that he doesn't get caught in that next pick and roll, like on that switch. When, it, when Tatum's getting that pick and roll action, why is Embiid not being helped and swapped away from even before the action happens? You know, those are the little adjustments. Those are the little details on defense that go a long way in terms of coaching and just player execution, right? Like, we, I can't blame Doc for everything because the effort in this game from the, the best players on the team was awful. And I'm never going to blame a coach for, for players not showing up like that. But I will blame a coach for defensive schemes, for offensive game plans, things like that, right? Like, that's for sure just... I mean, to me, it's it's awful by Doc Rivers to not see that happening. Oh, and it happened so many times in this game. Joel Embiid getting caught in those pick and rolls just over and over again. If he contested the shot, Jason Tatum's just much quicker. He's going to get the separation. And all it had to be was a good shooting night for Tatum, and it'll make it look as bad as it did. And obviously, like I said before, you know, Embiid kind of closes out hard on Tatum. Tatum's just going to blow by him and get to the rim. So, you know, that's that's just what was happening often. And that's what killed the Sixers, really. And also, obviously, the shot-making outside of Joel Embiid and James Harden. Like, obviously, Harden had an awful shooting night, you know. But, but guys who were looking good early, they also just couldn't make anything, right? Just a ton of missed shots and just no threes falling. And you keep seeing them taking open ones and they're still missing. And at that point, like, by, by the middle of the third, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this... This is not, this is looking like a wrap because the, the cold shooting is so contagious sometimes and it really spread like wildfire for the Sixers. And this is what we got, you know, a blowout in the second half. The Celtics now moving on. I expect Doc Rivers to be fired. Um, and, you know, this is another 3-2 series lead that was blown. Another series where he's just going to make excuses. And speaking of excuses, Joel Embiid saying that him and James Harden can't win alone and that guys have to be better. Everyone has to show up. I don't I don't know what he means by that. You're shooting five for 18. Let me tell you who scored more than Embiid in this game. You're going to talk about guys that didn't show up. Tobias Harris had 19. Embiid had 15. Tyrese Maxey had 17. So it's like you get P.J. Tucker 11. That's four points less than Embiid. That's that's more than enough when you're Embiid and Harden. Like, Embiid and Harden, 20 each from you guys. And that's not even asking much. And this game is not what it looked like last or yesterday. So I don't I don't know, like, just the entitlement, the, the lack of self-awareness. Just, you know, and now you're hearing how James Harden is strongly considering just going to Houston. I don't care about that anymore. Like, that's just, you know, but the the just the... The legacy stuff with Embiid, like, where does he go from here? You know, he's going to be a year older. Expecting a healthy season again is another obstacle for him, obviously. He's been healthier than he has been in the past, so he does have that going for him. But you're looking at some teams that are going to be better next season. You know, we say this every year, right? Like, the Heat are going to attract some serious, serious attention because of this deep run with their lack of star players, right? Like, it's it's basically, this is Jimmy Butler running the show with Bam Adebayo, let's be fair to Bam, and whoever decides to just show up that night, right? And a free agent or, or, or someone that's a restricted free agent that might want to ask for a trade, 
The Heat team are looking like a very desirable team to get to right now. And at this point, that's going to play a factor next season, right? Like, how good are the Heat going to be next season? I'm assuming there's no way that this team is going to be an eighth seed or a seventh seed again. I think that this team is going to be obviously even better next year. So you're thinking about them. You're thinking the Celtics are probably aren't going anywhere, assuming that the Celtics can get to the finals and either win a title or come damn near close to winning it, whether it's like a game seven or something. You know, the Celtics are always in the mix. Um, you're looking at the Hawks, right, with an actual full season with Quinn Snyder, with a training camp. You have the Cleveland, the Cleveland Cavaliers who are still lurking. You know, that team was great. It was a 50-win team in the regular season. Right. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with the Toronto Raptors. I'm, I mean, they had an awful year, but, you know, that's always a team that kind of lurks around, you know, and, and I'm probably missing some other teams or the, obviously the Milwaukee Bucks. Right. Like they're there. Right. It's it's a it's a Giannis revenge season next year, as it always is. So, you know, nothing's promised. Right. Like this was the best chance for the Sixers to try to get to the finals for the first time, not even the finals for the first time to get to a conference finals for the first time in the Joel Embiid timeline. So disaster series for them because they had every chance in the world to win this series. And just, you know, who knows what happens from this point on. I want to move on with, uh, I'm going to talk about Lakers-Warriors. This was a series that I told you guys, I expected the Lakers to win in six. They won it in six. And I expected it to be, hey, you know, we're going to see the Warriors shoot the lights out sometimes. And the games where they're not shooting elite from three, those are the games that they're going to lose because it's all they have on their calling card, right? Like, they're not going to grow overnight. They're not going to get deeper overnight. This is a team that's just, it's been Steph Curry and and just praying for, for a Jordan Poole show-up game, right? Or, or, you know, Clay Thompson, who wasn't good, wasn't great, I'll say. He was good in the playoffs, but he was not great. You know, he had a ton of bad games. His shooting performances have been bad as well. Just not, not the clay that we know. Obviously, the injuries are a factor, but just, you know, not, not his splash brother that we're so used to seeing. And I said, the Lakers are just going to be big every night, right? Like, that's not going to change. They're not going to shrink. And all that's going to happen is the Lakers are either going to dominate the Warriors uh, inside, right, with Anthony Davis and LeBron and Rui Hachimura and even Jared Vanderbilt kind of being a pest defensively, going all over the place. And the Warriors are going to have to just shoot damn near perfect to survive this series. And you're going to live and die by the three against a really big Laker team that also has LeBron, that has a great energy. They have a lot of chemistry now. They're, they're really just rolling, right? It's a snowballing Lakers team that now feels like they can't be beaten, right? Like just the confidence is sky high. You know, you get a big Lonnie Walker game, 15 points in the fourth quarter. Like, you know, just performances after performance, like with, with the Lakers role guys and then Anthony Davis looking great. You know, obviously he's he was wishy-washy at times, but... All in all, Anthony Davis just showing that he is the best player on the team right now. And the team is going to go as far as Anthony Davis can take them, right? And obviously, LeBron is there. LeBron just time and time again, obviously in this game six, the most recent one against the Warriors, he shows us what he has in the tank. And it's just mind, it just blows my mind how often LeBron, when you think he's he's looking like a shell of himself or or he's just not the same LeBron, he has a game six like that and just 
just looks like he's still the best player on the court um, in some points of these games and just shows you what he has in the tank. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's honestly, I, I like I said, I picked the Lakers to, to beat the Memphis Grizzlies. I picked the Lakers to beat the Warriors. You know, against these Nuggets, I've talked about it a little bit. I don't think that the Lakers have the consistency to beat the Nuggets, right? I, and, and it's crazy because do I think the Lakers can beat the Nuggets? Yes, because you have Anthony Davis, you have LeBron. Like, those two guys, I've been saying that all year long. As bad as the Lakers have been, all year long, it's the same story with these Lakers. What version of Anthony Davis are they going to get? And obviously, LeBron is going to be him, good or bad game. He's going to be solid, right? He's still going to give you the same numbers, even if it's a bad game. You know, and it's going to come down to how much are these role players going to show the Lakers, right? Like the Lonnie Walkers, the Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, who's been just turning around the narrative on him, right? I've constantly knocked him for being such a flip-floppy player, right? Just a very streaky, you know, two bad plays for every four good plays, and then he'll score amazingly one night, and then you won't see him the next night. It's He's been pretty damn consistent. Uh, compared to the player that he's been his whole career. He's been awesome for the Lakers. Dennis Schroeder, obviously, he has some bad games, but he, he's been solid, so solid defensively, you know, as a guard especially, just, you know, getting downhill offensively, staying aggressive. He's not going to shoot the lights out, but he's going to put pressure on the on an opposing team's defense. The Lakers are just big. They're athletic. They're long. They're well-connected now. They have a lot of chemistry. They have a lot of energy. They, they love playing alongside each other. That holds a lot of weight in a playoff run, you know? And then obviously you have the confidence of we have LeBron and AD on our side. Like that's what the role players are thinking too. So any series you go into against LeBron, it's a series that you definitely are going to be stressed. No matter how old LeBron's been, he will be a headache for you if you're a coach, an opposing coach or an opposing team because he is going to figure out your schemes he is going to figure out the tendencies. He's going to make the right plays. It's just a matter of executing, right? Will these Lakers show up every night? Because in this type of series against a team as complete as the Denver Nuggets, you need to be consistently great because this is a team that they're either going to kill you with the three-point shooting. The Lakers are not going to be able to keep up with the level of three-point shooting that the Nuggets have. I mean, one through five, the Nuggets can shoot threes. Not so much for the Lakers, right? They're very streaky. Um, very league average shooting uh, from all over the, the roster at, pretty much, right? Um, you know, LeBron can fall in love with jumpers. Anthony Davis can go into that tendency of falling in love with jumpers. The health factor is a question for Anthony Davis. Like, that's always something that looms around, you know? But obviously, Anthony Davis has the athleticism advantage, right? The athletic advantage over Nikola Jokic. So if I'm the Lakers, I'm going to try to play as fast as possible, kind of try to put Jokic on his heels as often as you can, um, you know, but defensively, the Lakers, they have to, they've been great on defense. So they have to keep the, the just the battle of stay home on the shooters. The Denver Nuggets, they move a ton off the ball. The Lakers have to be connected defensively, and they have been. So that's not something that I'm too concerned about. The one battle I will say that's going to decide this series is can Anthony Davis handle Jokic and when I say handle I'm not saying he's going to stop him I'm not saying he's going to dominate him or he's going to negate him from what he does best 
but can Davis hold his own defensively against Jokic enough so that it doesn't make the Lakers have to help him defensively because that's where the open shots are going to come. When the doubles are showing, right, when the help defense comes to help Anthony Davis if it's too much of a problem for him to guard Jokic alone, Jokic is going to find cutters. He's going to find open shooters. And at that point, it's will those Denver Nuggets roll guys knock down their threes. Another factor that Denver Nuggets have that's another concern for the Lakers perimeter defense is Jamal Murray. We know that he shows up sometimes, and when he does, he is unstoppable, right? All over the floor. He gets wherever he wants when he's on point, and he will get his buckets. He is a tough cover wherever you put him on the court. On the bright side for the Lakers, he doesn't always show up, and we've seen that, so that's something that I'm super concerned about if I'm the Nuggets as well, right? Like, Jamal Murray has to show up. Like, this is no more wishy-washy games you need to show up in this series. So, you know, in my opinion, I think the Nuggets are the more complete team. They have the most chemistry because there was no, like, crazy mid-season trade deadline like the Lakers had. Um, obviously, you have in a, a guy that answers every single question offensively in Jokic, right? Jokic is the most consistent center in this series, and that matters a lot, right? You double him, he's finding a shooter. You, you, you have him in single coverage, he's going to score on the single coverage. You leave him open, he's going to knock down shots. He has post moves. He, I mean, I, I've talked about Jokic all year long, so I'm, I'm not going to get into that, you know, because it's just, it's kind of irrelevant to just say it over and over. So, you know, KCP, obviously, former Laker, he's going to look for some revenge, right? Um, so there's just a lot of awesome things to look forward to in this Lakers Nuggets series. It hurts me to not pick the Lakers, um, and I also... Would not be surprised to think like, hey, man, the Lakers, if they can just get to the rim, like just put a lot of pressure on Jokic down low, they're going to zone, right? I know that the Denver Nuggets are going to try to zone and it might work because the Lakers aren't great shooting wise from three. So that zone could be a problem for the Lakers. But getting to that rim for Anthony Davis and LeBron, it's going to cause trouble for Jokic for sure. You know, uh, you know, obviously KD and Devin Booker, living in the mid-range, right? That's not really the game that the Lakers play. They're either getting to the rim or they're shooting threes, right? Like that's pretty much how the Lakers play. They play inside out, but they do they don't normally shoot a lot of mid-range shots. So that's something that that will help the Lakers. They play the math game even if they can't shoot as well as the Nuggets can from 3, right? So that's going to be a factor. I the only reason I'm picking the Nuggets is because of consistency right? Just at every position in terms of, hey man, the Nuggets to me are way deeper than the Lakers. So they will always have someone, right? To just throw out there and someone's going to show up eventually, right? And the Lakers have shown that too, but you know, Aaron Gordon, just this team is just, they have a lot of bodies for a LeBron, for an Anthony Davis. And you know, I, I, I just, I think this is the year for the Nuggets. I think that the Lakers doing Coming out of another series without home court advantage is a really tall task. I think it's a lot to ask for for the Lakers. So I'm picking the Nuggets in six. I think that the run ends for the Lakers here. And either way, I'm going to obviously do some pods along the way as the series goes on. And maybe I'll change my mind after I watch a couple of games. Um, but yeah, you know, that's just my take on the Lakers Nuggets prediction. Obviously, the preview. I also want to, you know, kind of obviously talk about 
the Nuggets Suns before I end this episode and then go on to the the next preview of the Celtics uh, Heat series, which will be on the next pod. You know, the Nuggets and the Suns was a math game of threes versus twos, which I explained it on that Nuggets video when I was breaking down their defense. I I show I dropped the link in the show notes on the last episode. You know, playing zone defense as well against a Suns team that just wasn't shooting threes. Chris Paul gets hurt, and I told I told a lot of people I knew that you know no Chris Paul. It means the Suns can play faster because this guy walks so much on possessions. And campaign, not that he's better than Chris Paul, but he's a guy that's going to push the pace. He's going to just accelerate the offense, right? And even accelerate the defense in a sense, you know, getting back faster than Chris Paul can. So, And they won two games without Chris Paul. They won both of their games at home. They put the pressure on the Nuggets in game five. The Nuggets responded, and the Nuggets won in game six. It was a blowout at the end, right? It was a disgusting blowout at the end the Nuggets just just super outclassing the Suns and you know the Suns lacking chemistry uh obviously DeAndre Ayton doesn't play the last game DeAndre Ayton he's gonna be traded for sure we saw all those alerts uh Chris Paul supposedly gonna get traded we saw that Monty Williams just got fired so there's a lot happening with the Suns I don't know what's gonna happen in terms of what their outlook is going to be next season. It seems like they're interested in Freddie Van Vliet. They definitely want to get younger at the guard slot. Well, the point guard slot. Um, they, they just want to be able to complement Devin Booker and KD. These guys were amazing in this series, but they also had, well, I would say KD also had some really bad games in this series. Just inefficient at times. He was uh, he was very aggressive in this series as the series went on, but he just wasn't having it, you know, just offensively had some bad performances. Um, and just, again, those two guys just putting on some crazy efficient performances that you'll see like 60% from the field, 70% from the field, just crazy performances like those in a couple of games. And it still wasn't enough to offset the threes. You know, I mean, that's just, it's just what, what the what the NBA has been, you know, threes are worth more than twos. You don't have to shoot a better percentage from three than you do from two. Like if you're sh- if you're trying to win a game on twos, you better shoot like seventy percent from the field, because all you have to do is shoot thirty eight from three, like thirty eight percent, and you're basically ahead, you know. So and, and it wasn't just the threes and twos, you know, it was Jokic dominating inside and just having his way. You know, making plays, finding cutters over and over again. This, the Nuggets, knowing that the Suns don't have great three-point shooting, they don't even take a ton of threes either. And the Nuggets just going in a zone, right? Just challenging the mid-range defense or the mid-range offense. You know, the Nuggets just pack the paint. They pack the free-throw line area. And they really just basically, they were begging the, the role guys to shoot threes. You know, the the Landry Shamets, the, the Josh Kogis. Those guys, you know, the guys that can't really shoot threes, they were challenging those guys. And those guys, you know, they were they were betting on them to miss, and they did. You know, obviously, you know, Landry Shamit has a big game, right? Hits hits like five threes, something crazy like that. And that's one of the games the, the Suns ended up winning. But again, you know, just the, the Suns were just outmatched. You know, they were outmatched. And the Nuggets looked great coming into the series. Like I said, I, I have them go into the finals. And yeah, that's going to do it for this episode This is the All Things Basketball Podcast. Remember that I'm coming out with another part for the Celtics Heat kind of preview. That should be a really short episode. It's probably going to be about 15 minutes or so. But I'm your host, Vic Lopez. 
and I'll catch you guys on the next one.